Good morning, good morning. If you are a student, you are dismissed to go with Miss Francis and or Mr. Nick and Miss Ivy. Good morning, Mr. Nick. Welcome. Glad you're here at C3 today. Uh, Bethany, it's very wonderful to have you here. And Christopher, Zach, uh, Sean, thank y'all very much. Matt, thank y'all. Um, I have two quick announcements, because I know Kim's somewhere around here sweating bullets. Uh, that She's scared I'm going to forget. Uh, we're going to have lunch, our monthly lunch after church, next Sunday. So if you are able, please come next Sunday to church and then stay with us. We'll have something yummy. Kim, do we know what we're having yet? No? Fried chicken, okay. And if it winds up being something else, that's good too. But fried chicken's always a win. So uh, anyway, we'll have lunch after church. You come and please stay with us. Uh, we'd love for you to join us. Okay. Um, we ended the year budget-wise um, just very blessed uh, of the Lord. And uh, He's our provider and our provision and our source. And I acknowledge that. Uh, with all of my heart, but the way God provides, uh, I hadn't gotten any gold doubloons in my mailbox. You know, it's been years since I, you know, that happened that way. And most of the time, God's provision comes through God's people, and uh, that's the way He set it up, and that's what makes Him happy. Uh, and I just wanted to say thank y'all uh, for your faithfulness to contribute to the life and the ministry of this church. And we're, I, I'm personally uh, very, very grateful uh, for your faithfulness to do that. Um, we're going to start back next Sunday with our study through the life of Jesus. We're about, uh, well, we're into the third year, the last year of his life on earth uh, in his human body. And uh, we'll pick back up with that next week. But um, I just felt today that God wanted us to do one more little challenge as we begin the new year, uh, just something I, I, I just felt inclined to challenge myself with and to challenge you with. Uh, I'm married to an English teacher, and she's taught British, British and Russian literature for 38 years, I guess, something right, right around there. And one of the, uh, everything about being married to her is a privilege, but uh, one of the things that, that, that goes along with that is that she and I normally take a walk every afternoon. And uh, more often than not, at some point in our walk, she'll be talking to me about what they're studying in class right then, you know, during that week. And um, so I learn all kind of stuff about literature that a lot of y'all might not know. And uh, I get that privilege of, of her teaching me some stuff. And the other day we were talking, and I don't know whether she's teaching this yet or not, or even does teach it, but um, she somehow we got off on uh, John Steinbeck and the East of Eden. And uh, she started just talking to me. I, I said, you know, I'm not really, uh, I, I'm sure that was assigned when I was in high school, but that had nothing to do with me. And so... Uh, I said, I'm not familiar with that story. And uh, she, so she sort of was t teaching me the, the story and summarizing the story. And if you, 
if you're not familiar with it, it's a remarkable story. Um, it's about a, a man named Adam who lives out in California, a very wealthy man. And uh, uh, it's John Sunbeck's most well-regarded work, would you say? Probably, yeah. And uh, like I said, it's about a man named Adam, a very wealthy. His dad left him a lot of money, so he had, you know, everything he ever wanted. And he wound up, uh, wound up falling in love with um, a lady named Kate. And um, she was rough. When I say rough, I mean whatever you think rough is. <laughs> she was on the other side of that. And uh, um, anyway, she came from a rough background and she was rough in every way. And, uh, he, but he fell madly in love with her. And uh, uh, they got married. I think they got married. Did they, they got married, right? Yeah. And she uh, very quickly realizes that this man, while she enjoyed his kindness and favor and the benefits of being married to somebody that, loved, that showed love and blessings, he became <clears throat> boring and unfulfilling and she wanted something much more exciting and all of that. And so she decides to, to leave. She's bailing on the whole deal. And as it would happen, uh, right as she's just creating her exit strategy, she gets pregnant. And she gets pregnant with twins. And um, her answer to that is to try to take the, the unborn baby's, baby's lives. And that doesn't work out. She fails at that attempt. And she uh, winds up uh, having these babies and two little boys... And I forgot their names, but they're sort of close to Cain and Abel. And you can see the, uh, the, the, you know, the connection there that Steinbeck's trying to make with Adam and then Cain and Abel and all that. Uh, but um, she, they, she has these babies and then I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. After she has the babies, she tells uh, Adam, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm gone. She goes, what do you mean? Where you, where you mean you're gone? Where, where are you going? She goes, I can't stand this. This is too... This isn't what I want in life. This is not what I planned or expected. I'm out. And he goes, well, where are you and the baby's going to go? And she goes, oh, no, no. I'm not, it's not me and the babies. I'm, I'm leaving you and the babies. And they get into a big, uh, it, it winds up being, a, as you can imagine, a, a, it goes downhill from there. She shoots him, doesn't kill him, but shoots him. And uh, uh, then she bails. She leaves. She vanishes. And uh, he is left heartbroken with these two babies, uh, with, you know, devastated life, felt, feeling every negative emotion you can imagine, betrayal, abandonment, uh, the sheer terror of what am I going to do, you know, w without my wife and trying to take care of these children. And ultimately, he comes to a point where, and I'm not, this is where the story goes. He gets up one morning and stays in that chair, a rocking chair, whatever it was, rocking chair, I'll let you say, or swing, for 11 years. I don't mean like to take a rest or a break. I mean, he, he sits down on his front porch 
and stays there for 11 years. He can't, he can't deal with it. He, he's been hurt. He's been betrayed. He's been wounded. He, everything that he had hoped for uh, has gone. Uh, he can't deal with the responsibility and the pressure. Um, and so he sits down and stays seated for 11. He hires him a, 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 a a, a man that sort of becomes his uh, sort of the nanny and the cook and the caregiver of the children in the house. And um, he has no relationship with his sons, two little boys, for 11 years. And uh, the one character I haven't mentioned in the book, which is the one that really made me perk up, um, Adam has a friend named Samuel. Sort of like David had a friend named Samuel. And um, Samuel genuinely loved Adam and wanted to help. And so being the friend that he was and being the kind of friend that I would like to have in my life. I don't know that I've got a friend like this, but I sure would love. I'm very envious of Adam. Samuel comes to see him one day. And says, uh, hey, I need you to stand up. So Adam stands up. Been sitting for 11 years. He stands up. And he walks. And Samuel doubles up his fist. And punches him as hard as he can. Right in his nose. And knocks him down. And he says, stand up. So Adam stood up again. <laughs> Samuel doubled up his fist. Punched him in the nose as hard as he can again. Knocks him down. Well, Adam, you know, saying, Hey. Why would you do that? And Samuel said, I'm sorry that you've had a difficult life. I'm sorry that things haven't gone the way you wanted. I'm sorry that you've experienced all the terrible things that you've experienced. But you need to get up. You need to get up. Well, I, I don't, you don't understand all that I've experienced. You don't understand all that I've lost. You don't understand all the wrong, I'm paraphrasing, all the wrong that's been done to me. You don't understand that this woman that bore these children, she's abandoned these children and left it for me. And his, uh, uh, Samuel's response is, you've abandoned these boys for 11 years too. You need to get up and move on. And man, when Shirley told me that, now there's a lot more obviously the story. I'm giving you just a little tiny snippet. Did I do okay? Okay, good, good, okay. If I screwed that up really bad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. That's what I heard, okay? That's the, that's the story I heard. Um, but it really hit me in a profound way how Steinbeck wove that fictional character uh, with such a life of problems, wounds, wrongs done to him, done by him, where he was dealt a hand 
that is not the hand that he thought he was going to be dealt or the hand that he wanted to be dealt. But it's a hand he got. His fault. Uh, 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 Kate's fault. Everybody's fault. Nobody's fault. It's the hand he's got. And his friend loved him enough to come to him and to just say, Hey, it gets into a thing, a Hebrew word, timsel, timsel, about it's a Hebrew word that means you may. And the fry cook, the, the, the guy that watched the kids, he, he brought it's another part of the book, but he talks about this idea, this Hebrew word of timsel, and it means you may. And the, the, the point of the word is, the idea is, you may now respond to life. As you will. You can turn around and go back and sit down in that chair for another 11 years. You may do that. Or you may get up. You got two little boys that would love a relationship with you. They would love to, to, to move on in life with your help. Um, you can look backwards or you can look forwards. You can sit down or you can start walking forward. You may, you, you have been given the gift of choice. What are you going to do with that choice? And I'm going to tell y'all, man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, most of you in the room uh, would know, you know, I love 1st of January. You start reading your Bible through again. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I, it, sovereignly. I've just started reading about Adam and Eve in Genesis, the first few chapters. And uh, listening to Shirley tell me that story and uh, then reading about how God responded to Adam and Eve. You know, it shocked me in a fresh way how God did not put up with Adam and Eve's excuses, their blame... It's, it's his fault. It's her fault. Uh, it's the snake's fault. God, ultimately, it's your fault. You set this up. It's, it's everybody's fault but mine. I'm the victim. It's not my fault. Let me give you all the reasons and excuses why my life is as it is. And it's not my fault. And how God did not put up with that. For one second. My wife and my daughter are always trying to encourage me on this empathy feel. And how important empathy is. We need to give people, and, and we do. Empathy is a big deal. But there comes a point where empathy, in my opinion, becomes a means of enablement. And there comes a point when we need a friend like Samuel who loves us enough to say, I'm sorry. I know you've hurt. I know things have been done wrong by you and to you. But it's time. You may. You may. You may get up and start again. And move forward. You're too valuable. Not to. God has plans. Way too incredible. 
for you to miss out. Other people have got plans that God created that require your involvement in their lives. This is too important. You need to move on. You need to move on. You may, you may sit your fat rear end down and miss the parade. But that is such a bad choice. That's such a crime. It's such a tragedy. It's such a waste. So get up. And that's what God told Adam and Eve. The two things that struck me is about Adam and Eve is how God did not put up with their excuses and blame for one second. But then in the exact same conversation, God doesn't really dwell on how what a what a terrible mess they created. God doesn't go, oh, we gotta sit down and analyze everything, and I'm gonna beat y'all up and fill you with guilt and shame and condemnation. You your own pride, your own selfishness, your own fear, your own unwillingness to develop a relationship with me that would help you follow me and trust me and find satisfaction in me. It's your choice. Don't blame your mate. Don't blame the devil. Don't blame the, the, anything. Quit blaming and quit making excuses. I'm not going to listen to all that crap. But also, Adam and Eve, I'm paraphrasing, get up. You haven't thwarted me. You've not. You have created a bailiwick. And it's, it's going to take some extreme measures that only God can create to undo and to correct. But guess what? This morning when I looked in the mirror and was shaving and combing my hair, I said to myself, God, I'm up to the challenge. God, I can do this. God, I can undo what Adam and Eve are about to mess up. Turn that which Christ, I can take care of this. And I can turn that which was meant for the destruction of those that I delight in. I'm going to turn this into the opportunity to show them in ways they could never imagine. What a delight I am. What a, a delight I am. And what a delight they are to me. So get up. You're going to have to leave the garden. For a while. But I've got, that's okay. I can turn wherever you are. Into a garden. If you'll just follow me. And I just, it, it hit me. And then, you know, I was thinking about uh, Abraham. The exact same thing. God comes to Abraham and he says, uh, I love you. I've chosen you. I've called you. I've got this great life for you. These great plans for you. I want you to follow me. And Abraham starts following him. But along the way of following God and getting to know God, it's still filled with troubles. It's still filled with problems. I mean, everybody in Abraham's life were like the people in Adam's life in the story. He's got a wife that is mad and a wet hen. She's mad at everybody because she can't have a baby. They're both getting older. I mean, the biological clock is ticking as fast as it can. Uh, he's got this deadbeat uh, a nephew who's sponging off of him until he gets rich enough that he 
turns his back on, bye. I got this now that I've got all, my, all, all your wealth. Bye. He, and you could go, he, he's battling with, the, with Pharaoh down in Egypt. He's got famines going on that he's battling with. He's got all this internal strife in this huge successful business that he's created. His wife creates this crazy plan on how to have a baby. When that plan blows up in Abraham's face, then Sarah blames him for listening to her. Uh, I mean, I mean, I can just see Abraham saying, God, I've tried to follow you. I've tried to do right. I've stepped out in faith. I've left my home and my family. My dad died. Uh, I'm, still not, I'm still working through all that. I'm, God, nothing's working out right. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down on the front porch. Because follow. So I'm going to sit down. Obeying isn't working. So I'm going to sit down. And that's the one thing God told Abraham continually throughout his Relationship with it. No, sir. You're not going to sit down. You're going to continue to get up every morning and follow. In fact, I'm going to make sure you don't even have a chance. I'm not even going to let you have a front porch. I'm going to keep you in a tent. So every night, you, you, you undo the tent. You get in the tent. You sleep. And then this next morning, you put the tent back. You fold the tent back up. And you start following again. I'm not going to let you sit down. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, life is hard. Yes, people are going to wrong you and wound you and betray you and criticize you. Things that you try, some of them aren't going to work. Some of them are going to fail miserably. You're going to make bad choices, Abraham. And others are going to make bad choices that affect you. But get up. And keep following me every day. Every day. I'm not hindered or limited or uh, taken back by the mistakes you make. The mistakes that others make. The problems that invade your life from inside and outside. I'm not sure. That didn't shock me. That didn't throw me for a loop. That doesn't derail me. And it won't. It will not derail you. So get up and follow me. I think of his grandson, Jacob. Every step of Jacob's life was a problem. His dad didn't, his dad favored his brother over him. Some of y'all been going, yeah, I know how that feels. My dad or my mom like my brother or my sister better than me. Jacob understands that. He and his brother fought and tried to cheat each other. Uh, I mean, his, he worked for a dude named Laban who was constantly trying to uh, better him and take advantage of him. And then, and then he was also his father-in-law, which is a terrible idea. But anyway, then, nonetheless, they were always trying to cheat each other. He married these two women who constantly, that's what he gets for marrying two women, but nonetheless, he marries two women. They're fighting with each other and fighting with him. He didn't have a good parent example, so when he gets his children... He becomes a bad parent and favors one of the sons over the other 11. That creates all kinds of problems. Every step of Jacob's life were filled with problems. Some he caused, some other people caused. Some 
it just happened. Famines happened. Angels come and invade his camp and start wrestling with him. There's all kinds of things going on in Jacob's life. But at the end of the day, God doesn't put up with his excuses. He doesn't listen to the blame. He just says, Jacob, life's hard and it's going to be hard. Until the day we, I'll make it where it's not hard. But that day hadn't arrived. I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. I want you to get to know me. And understand how much I love you. And how great I think you are. I want you to understand the plans that I've got for you. They're great. But in the midst of these great plans unfolding. It's going to still be hard. But get up. And keep following me. And these men and these women did. Uh, wasn't exactly the way I tried to do this. <laughs> I guess I had a lot I wanted to get into. But you hear my point. And I believe it's the voice of God. Just reminding all of us. Our greatest enemies. If I asked you right now, who's your biggest enemy right now? Many of you have names and faces. <laughs> I would suggest to you that the biggest enemy in my life, consistently, is the face of the dude that I shaved this morning. The guy that I brushed his teeth this morning, combed his hair. That's my biggest enemy. That's my biggest problem. That's my biggest need. I do have people that have failed me. I do have people that have let me down. I do have people that have hurt me. And I've done that to, to other people too. Things haven't worked out at times the way I wanted. Things have fallen apart in my life. But God does not want me to let that be some excuse. Ah. Uh, to sit down, to stop following, to stop trusting, to stop serving, to stop, to stop seeking after God. Um, I, I can spend all my energy blaming. I can spend all my, I can let all the, my problems paralyze me and uh, uh, hold me in some kind of, hold me captive so that I'm just sitting down and quitting because it's too hard. But I would suggest my wife, She's writing a book. Many of you know that. And not every day, but every week. Every week, she looks at me at some point. She says, this is too hard. This is too hard. And my response is always the same. Baby, it's supposed to be hard. If it's good, if it's good literature, it's supposed to be hard. It's a part of the necessary process of creating that which is great. And that's, I believe that's true of our lives. God is committed to creating something great in us and through us. And a part of that necessary process is that it is very hard a lot of the time. And God doesn't want us to respond to the difficulty and the failure and the pain that, are, that is a part of our journey in our lives by sitting down. 
just sitting down, being paralyzed, being held captive. That's not what God wants for you, and it's not what God wants for me. I'll read to you two verses. Psalm 37 says this. Don't worry about the lives and actions of the wicked or of those who wrong you. For like grass, they will soon fade away. Like flowers, they will soon wither. Instead, trust in the Lord and do good. And you will experience protection and provision. Delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You hear what David said? David's life was hard. It was full of failure. Failure he did, failure that other people did. It was full of attacks. It was full of battles and difficulty. And mean kings and mean wives. It was, he, he had a difficult life. But he came to a point where he realized, I can't focus on All the difficulty. I cannot allow the difficulty and the failures, mine and others. I can't allow my enemies to paralyze me and cause me to get up and, and quit and sit down. I'm gonna continue to follow the Lord all of my days. And David did. Jacob did. Abraham did. Adam, as far as I know, did. And that's God's calling and plan for us as well. Paul said it this way in the New Testament. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, the present or the future... Any powers in the heights or depths, anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. I just thought that we ought to start this year with just a fresh reminder and a fresh determination. People that live the most rich and full lives... They don't spend all their time and energy dwelling on blame, dwelling on excuses, being paralyzed and held captive by their own past mistakes and failures or the mistakes and failures of others. Instead, they choose to own what they've done wrong and try to make that right. And then they try to learn And change and grow and become better. And they make a determination that I'm going to get to know the one that is in control of this whole deal. And who has committed his love and resources to me. And has great plans for me. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to continue to follow him all of my days. So I end today just with... Asking you a couple of questions. Where in your life have you sat down? Where in your life have you sat down? I tried. 
I tried reading my Bible. I tried that. That didn't make my life better. That didn't help. That didn't work well. I'm giving up. I used to pray. I didn't see any real difference in my life. My life didn't get magically better because of prayer. I've given up and sat down. I used to work on my marriage. I used to try to make it better. All I got was opposition and conflict. Things got worse. Or I've been abandoned and wounded and betrayed. And I've given up. I don't know what it is in your life. I can tell you some things in my life. I used to try to battle sin. I used to try to seek every day to live a life that I felt was holy and righteous in the eyes of God. I really used to try to do that. I just got tired of getting my bottom whipped. Because it was too hard. So I gave up. I used to try to control my tongue. I used to try to serve in the church. In a specific area of ministry. It just got hard. It got difficult. I just didn't see the benefits. So I gave up and I sat down. I promise you I'm not going to come to you and punch you in the nose. I don't believe God will punch you in the nose either. Like that. But I'm telling you. God. The God of the Bible. Is a God of motion. He is moving. He is moving through the universe. He is moving through his. Remember what the Bible said. Very first thing. What does the Bible say? That God came in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve. To walk. Not sit. Walk. Jesus was constantly moving. Sit down, Jesus, and stay on. No, no, no. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. I'm not saying there's not a balance. I realize we have to be still and rest and wait on God. I know that. I, 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 I taught you that um, I know that but you see my point this sitting down and giving up and quitting just because it's hard I don't know necessarily what the right answers are I know that's not it with dealing with my enemies Dealing with my mate, dealing with my kids, dealing with my finances, dealing with my job, dealing with my own personal relationship with God, dealing with sin. I don't know what all the answers are for all that. Gosh, I wished I did. But I know what the answer's not. Just give up and quit. So what are you battling with? Who do you, who do, when, when you look in, when, when you get up, who do you see as your biggest enemy? Who's the biggest enemy in your life? Who's the one that's attempting to rob you of God's best in the most powerful way? I would suggest, who's David's biggest enemy? Oh, it was Bathsheba. Oh, it was King Saul. No, David's biggest enemy was David. Who was Adam and Eve's biggest enemy? Oh, it was the devil. No. 
It was themselves. And you could go right down the list throughout history. The biggest enemy of the biggest biblical giants was themselves. So this blame, these excuses, weariness that it's hard, that's, that's not one of God's options. So we better discover what God's opportunities are and get involved in those. Okay? Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, I was reading about the life of Abraham last or this past week. God made lots and lots of promises to Abraham. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was Abraham believed God. One of God's best promises to Abraham was this. He said, Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. God made Abraham that promise. And I believe if Abraham came back today, he would tell us, he'd look us square in the face and say, Guys, my life was full of difficulty. But every day of following God, he was my shield and my very great reward. We're going to take bread and we're going to take wine. Beck, you and Gail come up here and help me, please. And we're going to eat bread and we're going to drink wine. And we're going to remember what God did so that we could be the beneficiaries of Him being our shield and our very great reward. What Jesus did on the cross made that possible. He died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and so that God could declare, I am your shield and I am your very great reward. So you might be sitting there going, well, who gets to come up there and eat bread and drink wine? Anyone that declares, God is my shield and my very great reward. I'm, he promised me that he would be. I'm taking him at his word. That is my hope for the future. That is my hope for the next life. If that's your hope, if that's your belief, then you come and you eat bread and you drink the juice is yellow, the wine is purple. You eat and drink and remember what Jesus did on the cross and give thanks. You come when you're ready. If you need prayer, there will be people on my right and my left that would love to pray with you. Do not leave this church today without having been prayed for if you have a specific need that you need somebody to pray for you about. Okay?